Believers are instructed to give thanks in all circumstances. When times are good, we give thanks. When times are hard, we are to give thanks to our Heavenly Father for His goodness. American Family Radio presents Good News for Hard Times, featuring Dr. Ray Pritchard. Ray is a frequent co-host of Today's Issues and serves as president of Keep Believing Ministries. And now, here's Ray. It happened again a few weeks ago. In fact, it happened one Thursday on Today's Issues. We were about halfway through the first segment when Tim Wildman, our host and president of the American Family Association, said to Fred Jackson, can you give us some good news? I think we'd been talking about the debt ceiling, which is hard to explain on the radio, or maybe it was rising inflation, which disturbs us all, or possibly something about politics, which these days tends to be depressing. Whatever we were talking about was depressing. That's why Tim asked for some good news. I said it happened again, because Tim has asked for some good news several times recently. I can't say I blame him. I started co-hosting today's issues in 2008, or thereabouts. I have spent hundreds of hours on the air with Tim and Marvin, then with Tim and Ed and Walker and Fred and Chris and Steve and Sandy and Frank and Alex and Jan. We have covered hundreds of stories. By necessity, a lot of what we report is bad news. This is not surprising because we are biblical realists. We believe what the Bible says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. When Tim says, give us some good news, Fred will do his best and Steve knows how to find offbeat stories of the kind Paul Harvey used to tell. But it's not easy to find good news nowadays. My time at AFR corresponds with the Obama years and now the Biden years with Mr. Trump in between, plus the pandemic with all its attendant controversies. The last 20 months have taught us that we live in troubled times. So yes, there has been a lot of bad news. But on this special Thanksgiving broadcast, I want to give you some good news, possibly the best news you've ever heard. For some time, I have thought that the Lord is using this pandemic to prepare His church for what is to come. But what is to come? We know that history is His story. He holds the whole world in His hands. What should we expect if we could write tomorrow's headlines today? What would they say? Let me then introduce my topic, good news for hard times. Those of us who are conservative Christians are sometimes accused of being pessimistic. I understand why people say that, but there is more to the story. We like to say that Jesus wins in the end. That's true. But what does it mean for this present crisis? For many years, I have read about great revivals in the past. Note the last three words, in the past. Sometimes those stories sound so amazing that you wonder if such things could happen in our day. Could there be another Welsh revival in our day? Could there be a third Great Awakening in our day? Could there be another Layman's Prayer revival in our day? Could we see whole nations shaken and changed by the preaching of the gospel in our day? Instinctively, we know the answer is yes. Of course, those things are possible in our day. God is not limited by the moral decay around us, nor is he bound by our unbelief. My message focuses on one key question. If these truly are the last days before the coming of the Lord, could these things still happen? 
And I think some of us may hear the question put that way and assume the answer is no or maybe not. But I'm going to argue that the answer is yes, if these truly are the last days before the coming of the Lord, and I think many of us do believe that, I would add then that the Bible teaches us not only that it is possible, but we should expect a great movement of God. Let me read a few familiar verses from Matthew 13. We call this the parable of the wheat and the tares, beginning in Matthew 13, verse 24. These are the words of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. Now, when Jesus interprets this parable, he tells his men that the field is the world, the Lord is the sower, the enemy is the devil, the good seed represents believers, the weeds are unbelievers, and the harvest is at the end of the age. We can summarize the message this way. In this age, the saved and lost live side by side. We shop at the same stores, we eat at the same restaurants, we work in the same offices, and many times we cheer for the same football teams. You can't always tell the wheat from the weeds. That is, you can't always tell simply by looking who is for the Lord and who is for the devil. The Lord knows, but we often don't. But when the harvest comes, everything will be made clear. There will be no middle ground. You are part of the wheat or you are part of the weeds. That's the story Jesus told. Now, what does this mean for our topic today? Jesus is telling us there will be two parallel harvests coming in at the same time in the last days. Now just hold on to that phrase, two parallel harvests, a harvest of evil and a harvest of good. That leads me to this question, what will the world be like in the last days? To answer that, let's follow two lines of biblical evidence. First, it will be the worst of times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. The key word is terrible. Other translations say perilous or dangerous or violent. What will the last days be like? The word translated terrible occurs only here and one other place in the New Testament. In its other occurrence, it refers to the two violent men who were possessed by demons in the region of Gadara, Matthew 8:28. They were wild, uncontrollable men who lived among the tombs. Now, apply that to the words in 2 Timothy 3.1. The last days will be fierce, violent, dangerous, and frightening. Here's another way you could say it. In the last days, savage times will come as men cast off all moral restraint and society begins to disintegrate. Three decades ago, theologian Carl Henry predicted that as America progressively loses its Judeo-Christian heritage, paganism would grow bolder. 
What we saw in the last half of the 20th century was a kind of benign humanism. But Carl Henry predicted that by the start of the 21st century, we would face a situation not unlike the first century when the Christian faith confronted raw paganism, humanism with the pretty face ripped off, revealing the angry monster underneath. His words have come true and are coming truer with each passing day. So, Paul warns Timothy, after I am gone, things are going to get worse before they get better. Buckle up, Timothy. Terrible times are coming. That's why Paul said, mark this, or understand this, or pay attention to this. Don't be naive and think that everything is going to be okay. It's not all going to be okay. But forewarned is forearmed. If we know what is going to happen, we won't be surprised when it does. No rules, no moral absolutes, no restraints of any kind. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And woe to the person who dares to question someone else's, quote, lifestyle choices. We can summarize this line of biblical evidence by saying that the entire age will be characterized by unbelief and religious apostasy as men continually reject the truth and follow their own desires. Now, there is a sense in which these things have always been true for the last 2,000 years, and we can add there have been periods of extreme spiritual darkness. Now, when Jesus uses the image of birth pangs in Matthew 24, 8, that's the passage where he says in the King James, all these things are the beginning of sorrows, literally in the Greek, all these things are birth pangs. He's telling us that we should expect these hard times to increase as we near the end of the age. What exactly was Jesus talking about? He said, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, famine and pestilence and nation rising against nation. You're going to hear about spiritual counterfeits and false Christs arising. You're going to hear about the love of many growing cold, fathers turning against children and children against the parents. You're going to hear of the total collapse of society. All of these things, which are true in one sense of the last 2,000 years, they're going to increase in intensity and in frequency as we rush headlong toward the return of Christ to the earth. So, we can summarize this teaching this way. The moral collapse of the end times will be like the labor pains before a new world is born where Christ reigns as king. But that is not the end of the story. There is another line of evidence to consider. Remember, I am simply asking, what should we expect in the last days? First, I said it will be the worst of times, but second, it will be the best of times. For this, we go to Acts 2, which records Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Now, understand, Peter, on the day of Pentecost in AD 33, begins his sermon by quoting from the prophet Joel, who prophesied way back about 800 years before the birth of Christ. So you go from 800 BC to 33 AD. Now, Peter is preaching in Jerusalem. Acts 2.17, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy 
and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And look at verse 20. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. In verse 21 of Acts chapter 2, this is still a quotation from Joel chapter 2. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, we could easily take an hour to talk about Joel 2 and Acts 2 and what it means for us today. Let me simply summarize what I believe the meaning to be in five simple statements. Number one, we are living today in the age of the Holy Spirit. We often call the age from Pentecost till the coming of Christ, we call it the church age, but more accurately, it is the age of the Holy Spirit. Number two, God intends to pour out the Holy Spirit on a wide swath of humanity. That is to say, in this age, young men, old men, women, every age, every background, every group, God is pouring out His Holy Spirit across humanity in this age. Number three, this will climax in the final days of human history. Number four, there will be amazing signs in the heavens and on the earth surrounding the day of the Lord. And number five and finally, there will be, I believe, a great movement of evangelism in the last days. And may I suggest we should connect Joel 2 in Acts chapter 2 with John's great vision in Revelation 7, where John says, I looked and behold, I saw a throne, the throne of God in heaven, and God on the throne, and the Lamb standing by the throne, and there in front and surrounding that throne, a vast multitude of believers dressed in white, holding palm fronds, a multitude so vast that no one could number it from every tribe, from every tongue, from every kindred, from every nation, from every ethnic group standing before the Lamb. They were there wearing white robes, holding palm branches, and crying out, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Now, who are they? One of the elders asked John, who are they? And John says, I'm sure I don't know, but you know, who are they? And the elder says, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. Now, please do not misinterpret that. In the Greek, it is very specific. The elder is not saying this vast uncounted multitude are those who've come from a time of trouble on the earth. No, it's very specific. These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have come to Christ during the final convulsion of evil, that final seven-year tribulation leading up to the return of Christ to the earth. They've come to Christ during that tribulation period when the Antichrist is ruling and reigning across the earth. Most of them will be martyred because they would not accept the mark of the beast. All of that, I think, is implied by the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, let's ask quickly, what does this parable in its greater biblical context teach us about the last days? Remember, I used the phrase earlier, parallel harvest. There will be two parallel harvests of good and evil coming in in the days preceding the coming of the Lord. Evil will be more outrageous than ever before, and good will be easier to spot. Evildoers will become more brazen, and those who are righteous will shine. They will shine out in the last days. If you want me to put it together in one simple sentence, the Lord's work will prosper in the last days in the midst of shocking moral decline. 
This means the greatest revivals in history are still ahead of us. We have all heard it said that the darker the night, the brighter the light shines. When a jeweler wants to convince you of the brilliance of a diamond, he places it against a black background. It is sometimes said that those of us who believe in the return of Christ are too pessimistic about the future. I want you to know I don't feel pessimistic at all. If we are indeed living in the last days before the return of Christ, we should expect things to get better and worse at the same time. We should believe God for amazing answers to prayer, culture-shaking moves of the Holy Spirit, and unprecedented open doors for evangelism. We should pray for the gospel to spread like wildfire across India and China. We should expect a mighty turning to God among the Muslim nations. If there's going to be a final harvest of righteousness, then we should expect to see hundreds of millions of people coming to Christ in the years to come. And at the same time, the devil will do all he can to ignite an explosion of evil around the world. So then, if these things are true, what difference does it make? I have a friend who is not given to speculative comments. My friend is not the sort to say, the world is ending soon. But several times, this person has said to me, I believe the world is ending soon. Is it? Perhaps it is. We will know the answer soon enough. If the world ends tomorrow, then my friend was right. And I do think this might be the beginning of the end, so to speak. Suppose that Jesus is coming soon. How then should we live? Let me give you five quick answers. Number one, be alert. The last days will be a time of confusion and spiritual delusion. Don't be sucked in by the spirit of the Antichrist that is already in the world. That spirit tries to make us think that sin isn't really sinful and that there is no such thing as right and wrong. It also seduces us into silence when we ought to be speaking out. Ponder the words of 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Don't let that someone be you. The devil is hungry and you are on the menu. A great deception will come to the earth in the last days. Many will be deceived. It's easy to say, that would never happen to me. Don't be too sure. Many will be deceived who today would laugh at that suggestion. Number two, don't be naive. This is a time for the people of God to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Don't be naive about the true nature of sin in the world. Bad things happen because evil people cause them to happen. They hijack planes and fly them into skyscrapers. They strap bombs on young people who blow themselves up on a crowded bus. They loot and kill and destroy and defraud and break the laws of God and man, and then they go on TV and gloat about it. If we are indeed living near the coming of Christ, then we ought to brace ourselves for further outbreaks of hideous evil. The worst is yet to come. No matter how good the world seems to be in terms of technology, the moral compass is pointing in the wrong direction. Number three, be bold. Believe God for great things in the last days. Pray big prayers. Ask God to bring in the last day's harvest. This is no time for compromise. In times like these, Christians ought to be bold and open about our faith. Raise the flag of Jesus high above your head, then take your stand under that flag so that those near and far know you are a Christian. Open your mouth and say a good word for the Savior. Let your voice be heard so loudly that no one can doubt whose side you are on. Number four, march in tight formation. 
This is no time for believers to wander off on their own. Stay tight with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Stay tight with your local church. Stay tight with your Sunday school class or your small group. Stay tight with your Christian friends at work. Stay tight so you can't be easily picked off by the enemy. When we march in tight formation, we are a formidable force. When we try to go it alone, we become easy targets for Satan's attack. Fifth and finally, live without fear. Christians ought to be the calmest people on earth because we know the Lord and He holds the future in His hands. If we read about perilous times to come and then give in to fear, we've missed the great point that Jesus wins in the end. We must live in hope because our God is a God of hope and in Christ we have great hope for the future. On one of the speaking tours, Richard Newhouse was picked up at the airport by a man who kept talking about how bad things were in America and how difficult these times are. Finally, Reverend Newhouse had had enough of the gloom and doom talk. These may be bad times, he said, but they are the only times we are given, and despair is a mortal sin. He's right. Despair is not an option for the people of God. Let's make that a rule for ourselves. No despair on Thanksgiving Day. How can we be sad when Christ is our Lord? Remember, the church has always done its best work in bad days and hard times. When the skies are the darkest, it is then that the glory of the gospel shines the brightest. So here at the end, let me say, this is the reason I am fundamentally optimistic. I know there are many reasons for discouragement, but God's heart is big. God will not be defeated. There will be no empty thrones in heaven. As we look at the cultural decline around us, it's tempting to conclude that the bad guys are winning. They aren't. God keeps score in his own way. And even when it looks like he's losing, he's not. He only appears to be trailing. But in the end, God wins and he wins big. There will be more people in heaven than we have dreamed possible because our God is greater than our limited imagination. Charles Dickens began his epic novel, A Tale of Two Cities, with these words, It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. That stands as a good description of what lies ahead for us as we approach the end of this age. Satan will unleash his full arsenal, knowing that his time is short. Therefore, we should not be surprised when hard times come. But this age will also end with an unprecedented spiritual harvest around the world. I can't imagine a better time to be alive. Get ready. The harvest is coming in. Do not say four months and then comes the harvest. Open your eyes. Look around. The fields are white and ready for harvest. These are great days to be alive. The greatest days in all human history. Think of it. We may be the generation privileged to see the return of Jesus Christ. If that is true, there's never been a better time to be a Christian. If that is true, there's never been a better time to tell someone else. If that is true, there's never been a better time to raise a Christian family. Let me then give the last word to dear old Martin Luther, who wrote these words. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Tim said, tell me some good news. Here it is. 
We are fighting a battle we cannot lose. The Lord is looking for soldiers who will serve in His army. Will you answer the call? On that note, I wish you and yours a very happy Thanksgiving celebration. Happy Thanksgiving. You've been listening to an American Family Radio special, Good News for Hard Times, featuring Dr. Ray Pritchard. Ray is president of Keep Believing Ministries. If you would like to learn more about Keep Believing Ministries or connect with Ray, visit keepbelieving.com. And to hear this message again, visit the podcast page at afr.net. This has been an American Family Radio special presentation.